0: marriage and this will be on the screens is like getting a phone call at 3am in the morning you get the ring and then you wake up <laughs> okay it's not all that we think it is going into it right I've been married for 11 years, I have learned a lot, and uh, I no longer make the same mistakes I did when I was younger. Early on in our marriage, I had never seen, I saw something I'd never seen before. It's called the owl, okay? And this is the owl. It's when a woman is trying on clothes in front of the mirror, and she's like this, and she contorts her neck, just like an owl, searching for prey in the night. And then the owl has a question, and the question is not who, who, The question is, are these pants too tight? (laughs) Okay? Now, this is a tricky question, okay? It's a loaded question because even if you had the correct answer, which I didn't, uh, if you hesitate for one fraction of a second, you're in trouble. So she uh, asked the question, are these pants a little too tight? And I say, kind of. No. I see the look on her face. No, that's not what I meant. I mean, they're they're full. They're they're full. No, that's not what I meant either. Uh, There were a lot of tears shed that night. In fact, my wife almost cried as well. Uh, (laughs) The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. So let's dive right in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to come out swinging. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Women, are you cringing yet? Okay? You can breathe a sigh of relief. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands throughout the centuries, have quoted this verse as a way of silencing their wives and doing whatever they wanted. The consequences of this have been devastating. I truly believe this is probably the one most misused Bible passages in all of Scripture. And if I'm a woman reading this, I'm slamming it shut, saying, this ancient book has nothing to say. What a barbaric text. But that's not what the passage is leading us towards. It says, wives submit to husbands. But actually, the section on marriage doesn't start at verse 22. It starts at verse 21, and it says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is a mutual submission in marriage. You submit to one another. Wives are called to do something that every Christian is called to do. Submit. And husbands are being called to do something that every Christian is called to do. Love. Love. Paul is not only telling the wives to submit, he's telling both partners to submit. There's a mutual submission in marriage. Now some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, are you just trying to soften what the Bible says? Are you just trying to assuage to the cultural norms of today to make the Bible more palatable for our own tastes? It says the husband's the head of the wife. So is the husband the head of the wife? Yes, it's plainly clear in Scripture. But by saying that, I may have said something very misleading. Because in English, when we use the word headship, we picture authority, right? Uh, But that's not the way it was used in the ancient world. Uh, The New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word for head or headship is uh, kephale. And it means this, but it also had a metaphorical meaning as well. Head means the top of your body, but when we talk about head, we say head of the company, head of the team, head of the army. We usually picture someone who has authority over something. That's not the way it was used in the first century. In fact, there is a first century writing regarding military strategy, and they refer to someone as the head of the army, but it's not the general or the king off the sidelines bossing people around. No, the head of the army is the first ones to die. The head of the army is the first people to go bloody and make and make a sacrifice on behalf of everyone else. They're the ones who lead the charge and most likely the ones who are laid their life down for others. He probably won't survive, but he's brave and he moves first. So when the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife, we in the West say, aha! I'm the husband. I'm in charge of the home. Wife, submit to me almighty authority. A mighty husband. That's us reading our own Western bias into the scriptures. The husband is the one who lays his life down for his family and leads the way in sacrificial love. Just like Jesus. And then the passage goes on to say how Jesus laid his life down for us, not how he took charge of the situation. Right? Right? If we want to be like Christ, we lay our life down, not claim our own authority over a situation or a marriage. Doesn't this passage make so much more sense in understanding first century headship? And Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives. Love is ultimately laying down of power. Philippians 2 tells us how Jesus did this. He emptied himself. He laid down his authority and sacrificed himself for all. Why aren't women told to love here? Well, women in the first century didn't have any authority to lay down. They were treated as property. We as husbands are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are to lead the way in sacrificial love for our family. And not just any kind of love. Agape love. Self-sacrificing, giving love. Not to serve our own desires, but to bless and serve our spouses. The main thrust of the passage is not my wife has no say-so. No. No, Sarah's my other half. I'd be missing so much if I refused to listen to her. She's usually right. In Christian marriage, it's not about living for yourself, but dying to yourself. That's the good news. That's what Jesus has for us. I don't know where we got the idea that in Christianity, Jesus is the only one who does the dying. No, no. We are supposed to be dying to ourselves every single day. And there's no better way to display this to the world than in Christian marriage. Husbands should lead the way in this. Marriage is difficult. It is much easier for me to try and convince my wife to die to herself so that I could get what I want. That's not what love does. It's the Christ-centered choice to treat the other person as infinitely valuable because they are. Christian marriage isn't when a quiet, submissive wife bites her tongue and does her husband's bidding. No, Christian marriage is when the husband w- husband leads the way in sacrificial love for his family. That's Christian marriage. Now, there's more to say on this, but that's what small groups are for, to wrestle through some of these things, because you may disagree, and that's okay. Uh, Christians disagree on how to interpret this passage, um, but we're starting small groups next week and they're a great way to connect and to wrestle through uh, the scriptures. It's okay to agree to disagree in a Christ-honoring manner. And By the way, if you're single or dating, love should be the guiding ethic for all of your relationships. So even if you're not married, there should be a lot to apply in our relationships here this morning. Uh, and we here at Prodigal understand that we can never make a generality that fits every single woman or every single man. Okay, we know this. However, there are a couple distinct differences that I have seen to be true predominantly in, between men and women. And so we want to share a little bit about that. Now, again, I'm not trying to generalize all men or all women. Uh, there's always exceptions to this, but maybe you might find yourself in some of these. Here's some of the differences. Number one, men are hunters, women are hinters. <laughs> I'm not saying that I hunt. Actually, I've never done that, okay? Uh, But when I go to the store to get something, I attack it. i got to get this, 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 I'm out, okay? Women are hinters. Ever had your wife offer you a breath mint? It's not a mint, it's a hint, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Ever walk through a store with your wife and she says, oh, that's nice. She doesn't mean that's nice. She means, check the price. (laughs) What she's saying is, I want you to buy that for me, but not now. That's too easy. I want you to come back another time when I'm unaware of it, whether it's birthday, Christmas, or just because you love me, I want you to go back and buy it. But babe, you didn't tell me you wanted it. Yes, I did. I said it was nice. (laughs) Women are hinters. Just tell me what you want. Number two, women are often censors and men are often solvers, okay? I've learned this the hard way. I remember numerous times in our marriage when I'll come home from work and she had just come from home from work and she's telling me about some issues that she's having with people at her work. And, it, and she, she's telling me this with lots and lots of details and it's taken some time. After about 15 minutes, I think to myself, I will step into this situation and solve her problem. So I cut her off. Say, okay, babe, I got the story. You've repeated yourself four times. <laughs> now, here's what you gotta do, babe. This, 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 do this, done. When I get done sharing, everything that she needed to do, her mouth was just wide open, staring at me. And I, I was thinking she must be in awe. Um, she's in awe of just how intelligent and wise her husband is. She's asking the Lord silently, how did I get so lucky in marrying this man? (laughs) She looked at me and she said, I already know all of that. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I need my husband to let me vent. And she's right. She's right. I want to solve it. That's not what she needs. Number three, women are often talkers and men are tight-lipped. Okay, speaking of words, we had a word ser- sermon series to start this new year. Men speak an average of, of about 7,000 words per day, 7,000. Women speak 15,000 with gusts of up to 50. <laughs> okay, true. True. Ladies, you ever wonder why when your husband comes home from work he doesn't want to talk? Like he used up all of his words. If he had two meetings, he's done. That's why we grunt and make weird noises. We've used up all of our words. This is so true. Sarah will go out to dinner with her girlfriends, and she'll get home late, and I'm like, what did you guys do? She goes, we just talked. I go, babe, you were gone four hours. What did you do? No, we were just talking. That, it, it, that didn't make sense to me. I never come home late after hanging out with Stephen. And she goes, what were you guys doing? No, we were just talking about how, like, our feelings and how we process things. And just got lost in the moment talking. Never happened. Never happened. It's okay to admit that we're not compatible and that we're extremely different, okay? Incompatible doesn't mean irreconcilable, which is the number one reason listed for divorce. Irreconcilable differences. When we have Christ, the reconciler, the epitome of self-giving love, our incompatibilities become opportunities to be made into Christ's image in a greater way. Let's get even more practical now. If love and marriage is the Jesus-looking choice to relate to someone with unsurpassable worth, how does that play out in our everyday lives? John Gottman, marriage author, writes this. Most marital arguments cannot be resolved. Oh, this is so encouraging. Uh, (laughs) Couples spend year after year after year trying to change each other's mind, but it can't be done. This is because most of their disagreements are rooted in a fundamental differences in lifestyle, personality, or values. And by fighting over these differences, all they have succeeded in doing is wasting their time and harming their marriage. Psychologist Dan Weil says this, when choosing a long-term partner, you you will inevitably be choosing a particular set of unsolvable problems that you will be grappling with for the next 10, 20, or 50 years. To pick a person to say I do it's to play the game, pick your problems. Because everybody comes with them. And the curse is, once you picked your problems, you put a ring on it, you spend the rest of your life arguing about the problems that will never change. What's the answer? Our prayer should be, Lord, help me identify the issues that won't change. Help me to accept that so that we can work on the areas that I can change. First Thessalonians 5.13, live in peace with each other. Romans 12 If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with all men, to be holy. Conflict will happen. And I just want to say this. I just want to pause and say, life's messy. Divorce happens. Heartbreak happens. And it sucks and it's hard. God doesn't abandon you in the midst of that. God's love always burns strong for you. No matter how negative or broken some past relationships are. God loves you, adores you, holds you through that time and carries you through. Conflict happens. We might start out perfect in the honeymoon phase. Eventually, we always come back from the honeymoon. We might be disappointed. And disappointment is the gap between what I expect and what I experience. And every marriage has to deal with disappointment. Every marriage has to deal with disappointment because there are two humans involved. When one sinner marries another sinner, it doesn't equal sainthood. Every marriage has disappointments. Some of you husbands are feeling like you should whisper to your wife, not us, babe. I love you. Okay? If that's you, you must have got married last night. Congratulations. How was the wedding? Why are you here at church the next morning? Go do other things. There was a large metropolitan church that took an amazing survey and asked thousands of couples, what's one thing you would change about your spouse if you could? Here are the top five answers that married women said. Married women. I wish he would listen to me. I want him to share his feelings with me. I wish he weren't so short-tempered. I'd like him to help me around the house. I wish he weren't so negative. Let's just sit there in an uncomfortable silence for a second. (laughs) I know hands are getting tugged throughout that list. Listening was number one, guys. Married men, I wish you were more interested in sexual intimacy. Sex was one for men, okay, surprise. (laughs) Number two, I would like her to nag me less. Number three, I wish she wouldn't overreact. Number four, I would like her to be less negative. Number five, I wish you wouldn't criticize me so much. Now, we're not going to talk about um, uh, the number one issue for guys. Uh, we've devoted a whole Sunday to it next week, okay? Next week's sexy Sunday. So <laughs> come back and bring a friend. Um, now, we're going to kind of go rapid fire here and talk about this conflict in marriage and how to have a healthier a uh, more Christ-centered marriage. We're gonna, gonna go rapid fire here, and I'm gonna list a lot of things. It's gonna be a lot of information. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to do all of them, okay? Nobody can. But I want you to maybe highlight one or two and really work on those, practice those, try those in your marriage. And once you feel you got those down, go back to the list and maybe add more to your repertoire. If you try and take all of these home and apply them, it's, it, you're gonna be overwhelmed, at your own shortcomings. So maybe try one or two and apply those. Here we go. Number one, accept rather than argue about what is unlikely to change. Researchers say that 70% of what couples argue about are things that are probably not going to change about their spouse. It's as if we think if we just argue enough about something, they're eventually going to change. It's not going to happen. There has never been an argument with my wife uh, where she says, you know what, John? John? I was utterly defeated in that argument. Uh, You are completely right, and I'm going to change my opinion on the matter. I was wrong. You were right. Never happened. And I've never said those things to her. Conflict's a part of marriage. Number two, stop the excuses. You might be saying, no, you don't understand. It's 100% their fault. Listen, it's never 100% their fault. It could be 90. That's rare too. It could be 90, then if it's 90, you you work on your 10, okay? Don't try and change them. Work on your own 10. Number three, you're married who they are, not who they were or who you want them to be. The man that Sarah married 11 years ago is not the same man I am today. It's the same person. I'm a different man. I've changed, I've grown. My opinions, my views, my life, I've changed, and Sarah has been by my side through it all. And in many ways, she has changed with me. We've grown together. In a job interview, you have a can- you hire a candidate based on these certain qualities about who they are. And as the com- as the as the person works within the company, if they change, if they become much different than the person that you hired and they're not, maybe not who the company signed up for, you can fire them, move on, find someone, is who you want. But marriage isn't a job, okay? Marriage isn't a job. You marry who they are, not who they were or who you want them to be. I read an article about uh, a bride who was trying to, uh, was getting married, and she was getting ready to, to walk down the aisle, and she And she was told, okay, first I walk down the aisle, and then we get to the altar, and then I pledge my love to him. So she goes, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Any woman ever tried to change their man? Doesn't work. Instead of attempting to alter one another, we need to try and understand one another. It's not your job to to change your mate. Your job is to love your mate, serve your mate. It just leads to more conflict. Uh, Let's go back to this survey. Men, what we fight about with our own wives. Communication, failure to listen. Money, finances, feeling underappreciated, sex. Sex. Household responsibilities inattentive to my needs. Women, what do you fight about with your husbands? Communication, failure to listen. Both, number one. Finances, both, number two. Number three, feeling underappreciated. Both, number three. Four, household responsibilities, five children. If you or your, and your spouse fight about these things, I just want to let you guys know, you're normal, Okay? You're normal. Uh, Normal people have conflicts over these things. But instead of fighting with your spouse, fight for your spouse. Great marriages are not born, they're forged. They're forged. And sometimes it's uncomfortable and difficult and hard and painful. Fight for it. Fight for it. There's a couple I'm working with, they've been married a few years, and they're going through a, a little rough patch and I asked them, hey, do you, do you want to see your future children's high school graduation? And they said, yeah. I said, do you want to go to that together or separate? And they said, together. That starts now. doesn't start when they turn 18. starts now. Lastly, and I really feel this can bring healing to someone's marriage. You do love until you feel love. The longer you're married at times, it's the easier it is to stop pursuing your spouse. First, we stop courting them and doing the things that, that were magical, That we, the things we did before we got married. We don't go on as many dates. We don't have these deep conversations. We don't treat each other as special. Somewhere along the line, we change those habits. We stop doing the things that we should have been doing all along. The, miss- the mission of marriage isn't for me to feel happy and in love. The mission in marriage, is for me to bless my wife. Find little ways to bless your spouse. We have this idea that you fall in love and then it follows naturally to do the loving thing, but in marriage it works the opposite. First, you do loving things because as a Christian and a married person, you're called to do them. Then as you persistently do loving things towards the other, you begin this this new love, a deeper love. You begin a greater connection, new warm fuzzies, that's so much greater than the warm fuzzies you got when you first held hands all those years ago. You do love until you feel love. Love is not a feeling. Love is the way I act towards another human being. I want to invite Stephen, the worship band, up. And I'll close with this. A man and his wife had a difficult conversation about finances. Um, That's one of the things that we fight over, right? And they came to the conclusion that it was time for him to ask his boss for a raise, and so he says oh, you're right babe it's time i deserve it i've been with the company long enough I'm, I'm i'm good enough at what i do i need to ask for a raise regardless of the consequences and so the next day he gets up he goes to work he asks for a raise from his boss and that afternoon when he comes home he opens the door and says honey i got the raise." and he walked in and there's some candle lit there's dinner there there's a little note with his name on it and he runs up to it and he opens it and she says honey congratulations, I knew you would get the raise, and I've done all these things to show you how much I love you. And they had this wonderful dinner, and at the end of the meal, she gets up to walk away, and a little note falls out of her pocket. She doesn't realize, and he picks it up, and he reads it, and it says, honey, I'm so sorry you didn't get the raise. I have done all these things to show you how much I love you. What a beautiful moment in memory he got of sacrificial love from his wife she said I, all the little things i have done is to show you and to say i love you you can say i love you till you're blue in the face you can say nice and thoughtful sweet things and you should but love is not what you say, love is what you do. And here, in this wonderful story about this husband and wife, she says, all the little things I have done, I have, all the actions I have done, all the time that I've invested, was to say, I love you. That's love. That's love. You do love until you feel love. God, I pray in Jesus' name. That you would help us. And we thank you for your heart for marriage. We thank you that love is action, love is sacrificial action, that it's not nice and thoughtful words, that it's that's, uh, us giving at the expense of ourselves. And we thank you that Jesus, you show us that. You show us. You demonstrated that on the cross. Help us, help our marriages and our relationships reflect your love. You're pouring yourself out for the benefit of others. Drop our pride. Drop any power play that we might have and let us love sacrificially. That's what you called us to. So God, I pray for that in our marriages. I pray that we're a church of strong marriages and strong families and husbands leading the way in sacrificial love for their entire family, for their children, for their wives. God, let our marriages reflect Christ likeness in every way. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you have things to say about this, that it matters to you, that much of the Bible deals with marriage and conflict within marriage. And God, we know life is messy. And we know that when we put our hearts out there, they can get stepped on and shattered and cut to pieces. And for those who are dealing with that heartache now, Holy Spirit of the living God, would you mend that heart? Would, would we be so filled up with your love that it overflows in every aspect of our lives? God, when we feel we are broken and empty because that person left, because that person abandoned us, that person broke their promise? May you fill that void that we feel in our hearts to know that we are loved, that we are wonderfully made, and that we're a child of the King. So God, heal our hearts. God, Lord, your word says this in the Psalms. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. God, I just know that that is for a specific person in this place now, whether in this room or listening online, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. God, let us sense and feel that in the midst of our own brokenheartedness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close with this song today?